Thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, confidant, all-round good beer guy, and sometimes he is also my, uh, I don't know, prof, muse or just conscience. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like handbrake or speed trap or, um, you know. Oh, conscience, that's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I guess um, after this many years, Matt, I, I would be more than proud to, to be your, um, uh, your your go slow button or your... Um, <laughs> Your your uh, filter, perhaps. And it, well, and to be fair, I'd like to think that that doesn't happen as often as maybe it once did. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more, you know, I've exercised that muscle a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but still, um, I, and I say that more because you seem to be the person that people go and talk to rather than coming to me. <laughs> um, they have a whisper in your ear, so you can have a whisper in my ear. Yeah, perhaps something like that. But we, we, we might get to that segment later in the show. It could, it, it could become a segment. <laughs> but how you been? How's your week? regular enough. Yeah, no, good. Very good. Yeah. Um, as you listen to us, uh, listeners, we are uh, in the right smack in the middle of uh, judging for the Australian International Beer Awards. So uh, quite... But of course, we're recording this on Tuesday the 10th. That's right. You're talking about if this goes out on Friday or when, when this goes out yeah, on that's Friday. that's right. Yeah, because we're regular now. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's it, it. Look, it's it's just a very exciting time, I guess. We'll probably get to chatting about the World Beer Cup because at this time of year, there's always uh, some level of comparison between uh, because they're they're quite different uh, awards uh, in the way that they're um, they're both sort of uh, judged, um, and some always you know interesting comment comes up about the the results. Um, of course, with the World Beer Cup. There's it's three, two, one, gold, silver, and medal. You, you're either on the podium or thanks for coming. Whereas with the Australian awards uh, in every category, there's the possibility that every beer could could get a gold medal um, or a, a silver medal or a bronze medal, and that one of those gold medal winning beers would then also take a, a the trophy, which would be the equivalent, I guess, of a gold at the at the World Beer Cup. Yeah. So actually, you know, that's a nice segue. Obviously, you're you're a, a judge or you're an associate judge. Steward? associate judge this year. Yes. Congratulations. Still available as a uh, steward, uh, you know, obviously for other, and we'll talk about that later, but you know, for um, whether it's uh, new and emerging um, beer awards. Yeah. But uh, obviously news last week, one of the big uh, traffic stories on our website um, this week was the World Beer Cup announcement and gongs going to Lion and Stone and Wood. And, of course, uh, Lion Pipping, um, or James Squire, um, the Lion-owned James Squire brand, Pipping Stone and Wood in the English Summer Ale category. Yeah, both in the same category. Uh, and, look, I, um, what, did, what did you think? Oh, mate, like, what, one of those things. I mean, one of one something you can never take away from... You know anything that comes out of the, the, the big houses is they make very high quality, consistent beer. Now, a lot of people find that the flavour doesn't have um, the, maybe some of the nuance or some of the rough edges um, that they like uh, from some of the smaller breweries. That's very much a matter of personal um, preference, but you certainly can't take away from the quality by and large. And uh, at, at competitions, people are these are judged blind. You don't know what you're trying. All you have is the beer to go on, and you can't take it. You know, yep. You're just basically I, drinking it uh, uh, with style guidelines in front of you. This is the category it's in. 
which is the best one out of these, you know, it, it, on your table, it could be, you know, 32 beers. It could be, you know, three flights of six or whatever it might be. You've just got to go through those and go, that's the best one. That's the second best one. That's the third best one. That's gold, silver, bronze. Yeah, exactly. So, look, you know, there, and there has been a little bit of chat, um, you know, on social media and Facebook, you know, things like um, the claw posted on the website, the World Beer Cup looks as USA-centric as the Baseball World Series. And I don't know that that's strictly true. Um, you know, the let me see, I'm just having, I've been trying to find the stats that came out, but... While you're looking for those, um, I'll just point out too that, um, and I was quite open about this in my uh, social media platforms that the swindler was one that i probably went into without too much expectation and was actually very pleasantly surprised by um i thought it had a nice lifted hop aroma which is what that that style i guess is is known for um i thought it was uh again like we say no question uh, very well made um and the six pack that i had you know they were all identical there were no you know packaging issues or, or anything like that I did uh, notice fairly early on that um, that there was a lot of uh, chattering on uh, on Twitter and Facebook that uh, you know oh, it lives up to its name. I've been swindled. I thought it was going to have flavour. And I suppose, look, if you want to go into it and just say, well, you know, I don't know why they don't just start a a Facebook page for you know we hate Four Pines, we hate um, Lion, um, you know, and and the other ones that they they sort of seem to continually come out against. Hopefully this proves that, um, you know, the experts have said, you know what, just pound for pound with nothing else, no labelling, whatever, this is a very well-presented beer. Yeah, and, and, and that's it. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to say any more about that um, the, because that, that's exactly it. I mean, I don't know, and I, I wish I could find these stats because I think Australia had 111 entries um, won two medals, which was a success rate of something like one point eight percent. One point eight percent. But if you're going to, you know, to, to argue that um, it is uh, American centric, I think um, obviously most breweries, the, the the vast majority of entrants were from America. M most um, entries, Matt, in the New Zealand Beer Awards come from New Zealand breweries. Most Australian beer awards um, entries come from Australian brewers. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, but there were 55 countries uh, represented, 1,907 breweries, um, and the average number of beers entered per category was 69. Uh, IPA had something like 280 um, in the category, so very, very fiercely contested. And if you're entering the IPA category, and as, as you said, there's only a gold, silver, bronze, it's not like the Australian International Beer Awards where you could have nine gold medal winners. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's a it's a benchmarking as opposed to a uh, you know an, an actual award, um, if you know what I mean. Um, and let's see, the uh, we had a one point eight percent. And James Atkinson, who was over there, described as far behind countries including Japan six point seven percent, Germany six point four percent, UK five point three percent, and the US four point eight percent. So to say it's US centric when they had the greatest number of entries, but you know, we're still only getting 4.8% of the medals, um, kind of says something to me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, which actually boosts both Stonewood and Lion, um, James Squire, for, the, for their 
win. Oh, look, uh, yeah, I think any beer that's that's recognised at that level um, by the quality of the of the judging panel that's assembled, um, you should be very proud. What I did find very interesting, though, Prof, and it's something that we've talked about, um, you know, about style. What is style, and um, you know, our styles are mutable and never changing. Um, I, I found it very interesting that there was the Australian Pale Ale class, or was it the Australian Sparkling? Uh, yeah, no, there was Australian Pale Ale. Yep. I think, because yep. um, Australian Sparkling has had a bit of a discovery in, in the US and a number of breweries have started making Australian Sparklings. Um, but all three places in the Australian Pale Ale class went to American breweries. Um, and then the two Australian breweries... That they come over one... here, they take our Galaxy Hops. <laughs> <laughs> they take our women and they take our Galaxy Hops. Um but yeah, no, and well, see, I don't know that the Australian Pale Ale, um, and we probably should just call up the uh, the style guides because I do have them uh, here because of recent uh, we probably should post, studying yeah, of them. Yeah, post them in the uh, in the show notes as well. So as people, yeah. along, if you have your computer in front of you, you can um, you can call them up. Yeah, but but then it was very interesting that, for example, uh, both of the Australian gold, uh, both of the Australian medals, uh, medaled in the English summer ale category. Class. Yeah. So you've got Americans winning the Australian, Australians winning, doing very well in the English, and the actual um, and the actual Belgians can't do too well in the Belgian pale ale category. Yeah, and, as and, we've discussed in the past, that, and again, that's because the, um, I guess, it, it, it as you suggested, I think the, yeah, there, there there is a dynamic uh, shifting um, uh, boundaries in the in the style categories. I think they're they're a little bit flexible. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it makes things interesting. But it's also one of those things that, you know, whilst it, it's a truly international awards, I'd be interested to find out, and, and maybe we should uh, try and track down some of our friends who were judging over there to find out if any of them judged the Australian Pale Ale class to just get some feedback about it. Because a lot of people I know who have tried the Australian Pale Ale class, uh, tried, uh, Australian Pale Ales or Sparkling Ales in the US, say they're very different to what we here regard as an Australian Pale Ale. And it is one of those things that, you know, expectations for what a beer should taste like often shape how that style becomes when you have international competitions. And you do moderate that some in, to, to some extent by having international panels of judges. So you, you, you're bringing in um, an international uh, flavour, um, for excuse the pun. Yep. Um, but, you know, in, in Australia, we have a fairly, fairly clear idea of what an Australian pale ale is that may not be shared internationally um and you do tend to get some skewing of styles and you know you you, you see that with a an american india pale ale or you know any of the styles gradually go through a bit of a metamorphosis um subject to these pressures and there was some chat a couple of weeks ago a couple of years ago prof when no australian breweries won or there, there was no gold medal awarded in the australian pale oh, ale category, category. Yeah. yep um and i remember we spoke to warren pausey and we're trying to get him on the show from memory um so we need to find time in his uh, calendar. But, um, you know, whether there was an influence of, say, the Pacific-style pale ales, um, you know, the base beers that have that aromatic compound that or component that... Uh, lifted hop aroma. Lifted hop aroma that Stonewood has introduced to the, uh, to, to the style. Yeah. And whether judges are starting to have some expectation that that is where an Australian pale ale has. And Cooper's has never really had that lifted hop aroma. It's been more of a um, yeast, yeast um, yeah. aroma. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but then again, there, there has been a rewriting of the Australian Pale Ale category and there's been this new uh, uh, new world Pale Ale that's coming in this year. So it's going to be very interesting in the Australian International Beer Awards to see what's entered in the new world Pale Ale, what wins and what the judges define the um, category to be. Because um, it, it, it's something that we reflected on quite a bit. I, I reflected on quite a bit when the Stone and Wood um, hearings were on. And, you know, thinking about... We, we do have these style guides, but that's pretty much, you know, like any law. You know, you, you sort of give a description of what the law is, but then it's up to judges to interpret it based on, you know, community expectations or what their expectations are. And there's still a lot of uh, wiggle room in... Um, something that's codified and uh we, we see that all the time but anyway that was just uh yeah quite an interesting little uh thing that i thought and may, maybe we need to go over to the state's prof and uh, try some australian pale ales to check it out road trip right yeah that, that wouldn't that be nice if only we uh had some money um okay what else have we had this week prof so uh actually let's see i went out to roma um last week so for those who don't know, about six hours west of Brisbane and Brisbane. Um, if you if you if you look up the dictionary definition of middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 140 kilometres from nowhere, um, but it's a it, wonderful, you know, like a, most Queensland country towns. Wonderful people, um, you know, uh, very interested in uh, trying new things. And so I was out there with a, a couple of craft beers. Um, just doing some tastings at the Roma show, and uh, it was fantastic weather, fantastic uh, event. And, you know, I, I, it was one of those wonderful experiences for me, Prof, because you're really outside of the craft beer bubble. Um, there were a couple of people who work at the local school, a couple of uh, young ladies who were teachers at the local school doing their country service who were based, in, you know, originally from Brisbane and, you know, were quite excited that some of the beers that they drank in Brisbane were out there. Um, but apart from that, you really are so far outside of the bubble, you almost can't see the bubble. And people wandering up and uh, you know, seeing these interesting labels I'd never seen before and going, oh, this is the homebrew, is it? And you said, well, not, not quite. I can see why you think. You know, and, you know, mate, are you a hipster? I, I, I got, you know. <laughs> you were accused. I'll tell you what, I don't know, I don't know what, <laughs> what that makes a Roma, a Roma bloke if he mistakes you <laughs> for a hipster. He's got to be a couple of levels lower than a bogan. Oh no, not not at all. But it, again, it's you know like a, a hipster is what you you know somebody who's into these trendy new things. So I don't know. You know, a hipster doesn't actually mean anything. It no. means what you yeah, that's true. want it to mean. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so they, they they weren't having a go or anything. No, no, but, no, know, they, no. Oh, these these hipster beers. Um, and it was so the, the big sellers out there, um, in line with. The sales charts and you know the sorts of things you see from the Dan Murphys of the world, Great Northern. Um, we've seen some media releases come out about how what an impressive rise it's had. It was the number one biggest seller over things like Han Super Dry and some of the beers that you know maybe three or four years ago when I was out, Han Super Dry was the beer that everyone was drinking. Now it's all Great Northern, which to my way of thinking, you know, Great Northern Summer Bright Lager, Corona. The only difference is Corona's had got a few miles on it. Um, but if you were to put a blind tasting between the three of them, you'd be hard pick, picking them out. So CUB have done something right with the marketing out there because Great Northern really resonates. And the other one was Canadian Club. So people that didn't want to drink beer um, 
seemed to be going for the you know sweet Canadian club. There you go. So, yeah, but uh, had, had a couple of wins. You know, Stonewood Pacific Ale did quite well, and you can actually get it in the bottle shop. Didn't stop to ask how much it costs in the bottle shop, but I'm reckon it'd be reckon it'd be upwards of eighty bucks a carton, which would be I'm sure slowing them down um, a little bit. But the is it fair Green to say, Beacon, Matt, that the um that, that that's pretty much your unit of of uh, of buying measurement, like you. you you, everything is. You don't buy a six pack. You buy a carton. Uh, well, they did have a bar. For, they, they had a beer fridge that they did have some Cooper Stout in there. I'm just thinking. Only, uh, be, I only say that because uh, you know. I'm sure if you are further away from your bottle shop, you you don't want to be having to pop back sort of too frequently, do you? Oh, absolutely. But but there's still a, a nice size little town um, of Roma, so they they do have a beer fridge that had the Stone and Wood Lager and Stone and Wood Pacific Ale available in six pack. It was a little bit hidden. Um, it did seem to, judging by the huge piles of cartons of you know, Great Northern and, and that sort of thing, most of the traffic is indeed uh, uh, carton traffic. Um, Yender has made some inroads out there. They had a range of four or five Yender beers out there. So How did the, how did the uh, Green Beacon go? The Green Beacon did very nicely. The Kolsch um, did very nicely. The uh, wheat beer, their American wheat, which uh, was my choice um, while I was out there um, was a little bit of a harder sell a little bit more body um, going on um, tell you what they do love the smoked porter um, they really you know you, you tell them I've got a beer that tastes like bacon and uh, you can get everybody to try it um, <laughs> and that, that's not an offer but, it's a dare <laughs> yeah, alright yeah, yeah. right, mate then give us one of them <laughs> yep um, the biggest face screw up of the day um, actually and it was a the, the same beer caused all of them, um, was Feral Hop Hog. Um, they don't oh, love okay. their hops that far west. Um, How did the Feral White go? The Feral White did okay, I, I, and I paired that up Is with it? a nice French Brie. Oh, okay, so yeah. There, there, there was a little bit, um, you know, people did come at the, the, the flavour uh, for that one. It wasn't a big seller, um, but they it, it didn't get the screw up the way that, uh, you know, a really hoppy, beer so you know and it, 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 it's one of those things that always gives me pause for thought when you stop and you, you read some of the comments that we get on facebook and you know um james uh atkinson posted a story about will ipa take off in australia and you, you see the sorts of comments um you know that you know hops are going nowhere and that everyone loves hops and you know when you've discovered hops and you love hops, that you you think that everybody has, but it's certainly an, a, a taste that the vast majority of Australia is yet to acquire. Yeah, yep, no fair point. Mm. But no, it was a good week, and thank you to the Roma Show for having me out there, and uh, you know, very excited to be part of it. I'd be interested to see if we if we can get to uh, fulfil the plan and get up there together um, to see how you know if over the years it, it develops in the same way that um, you know a lot of other markets have. Yeah, yeah. And look, mate, the first time I went out there was two years ago, um, and there was nothing in the way. You know, the first question I was asked is, uh, "You're the beer expert. Which is better, Great Northern or Summer Bright Lager?" And you know, you're sort of thinking, "Well, gee, I don't know if I'd be able to pick them out in a lineup." But that, that these other beers are getting out there, um, and I, I guess that's the other thing, Prof, is that well, yeah, having just talked about James Squire, um, the guys out there. Craft brewers have got no interest in sending a rep out there because it's you know developing new markets um, and it's not just selling, competing to sell beer. It is actually you know you're the icebreaker out there, you know carving the path for for others to go, and that's something that the big guys are out there doing. They're not putting a lot of effort into you know having beer dinners or or, or those sorts of things. But 
they are big enough to cater to the demand and you are seeing 150 lashes out there, you are seeing some of those beers you know, hitting the shelves. And if people can get it, if, if people can't get it, they're not going to ask for it. And if people aren't going to ask for it, they're not going to develop the taste for it. And it's, you know, there, there is a little bit of a virtual virtuous circle of people able to get beer and then willing to try more. Um, mm. And, you know, the, the, the big guys are, to some extent, creating a demand that, you know, one day smaller brewers will probably uh, hopefully be in there to fill. Yeah, or, or, uh, or kind of, you know, ride the, slip, the, the slipstream of. Coming off the, yeah, you know, off the back yeah, of yeah, and and that's where they come in with their branding of you know being small and local and or you know keep keep your profits in the yeah, country and all yeah. those sorts of things. But it also puts you know, into perspective, I guess, Matt, that you know we the, the criticism that's often levelled at um, the bigger breweries who buy smaller breweries. At least it's getting something different uh, in their portfolios out to places uh, like that. Yeah, and but increasingly that's where I'm actually finding, and we touched on a little bit last last week um, when we talked about uh, you know the, the the endless quest for novelty and hype is is actually becoming quite boring. Um, I'm increasingly finding the, the greatest pleasure I get from beer is going outside of that that beer bubble and just getting back to basics and telling that story of great beers well made. Um, very much supporting independent, you know, small independent breweries because that's where my um, personal, you know, allegiance lies. But you know, it, it's getting out there and just telling. It's not talking about barrel-aged IPAs and you know black saisons or anything like that because that end of the market takes care of itself. There are a lot of people who want to do that, and brewers do that themselves. But it's just getting out and you know, people who are just starting to discover it, um, you know, uh, are getting information that's you know non-brewery specific um are just about good beer and where the flavor comes from and that's what i can they, i guess that's what we'll be doing again in a, a couple of weeks time you know eight, eight or nine weeks time when the echo kicks off again exactly all right so um could be a week actually when this podcast comes out could be a week we'll just be uh about know, to start opening yeah saturday, so, uh, saturday night the um opening the official opening party at uh fed square at uh, beer deluxe well, you and I will also be spending a bit of quality time on the Wednesday of Good Beer Week. We will. And don't forget, uh, listeners, ticket sales have been a little bit slow. I think, you know, doing daytime things probably aren't high on everyone's agenda. And we've also been a little bit slow really uh, getting behind to push it, um, such as the hamster and wheel that Brews News is. But listeners, we do have a really excellent uh, couple of panel discussions lined up for you. And uh, it'd be great for you to join us and uh, have a beer. We've got, uh, I think we've even halved the price or the, the, the organisers have halved the price um, I think it's about 22 bucks um, and includes beer, great chat and lunch. Um, kicks off at 11.30 next Wednesday, the 18th. So it's not too late to buy tickets. Um, but hopefully, yeah, you can come along and have a beer with Pete and I and listen to some really, really good chat. And most importantly, you can ask the questions that you want to have answered about the Australian brewing industry. Because whilst we've got the topic set, um, it's a Q&A. So you can, we're quite happy to disappear down rabbit holes and answer the questions when we've got people like uh, Mazen Hajar and uh, you know, people of that calibre to answer your questions. And people who certainly probably don't mind taking a backward step. Don't, really, don't take a backward step and who uh, are not short of an opinion it's fair to say not short of an opinion yes which is you know so, at the end of uh, day, that's what makes a good Q&A exactly uh, now Prof uh, this week last week we highlighted the uh, white rabbit red ale um, and uh, I, I raised my concerns about whether or not a beer 
whether there are some styles that have an automatic flagship attached to it. Well, that so, if you had to dumb them down, was it worth, you know, like if, if little, and, and we both commented this, probably not you know, a, a true Flanders red style based on the flavours. And uh, I read Crafty Pints very um, supportive. You know, it was almost, you know, like the uh, apology um, for the beer, for, for that it was an entry-level beer and, and those sorts of things. And I, I flagged that I wanted to talk about whether or not there are some styles of beer that just inherent in their character, you couldn't have an entry-level beer. And uh, so this week we get to chat to Jeremy Holtz, who was the man that made the beer, and I get to put some of those questions directly to him. So we might just get straight into that, hey, Prof? Sorry, I should have said yes. <laughs> let's. let's. Let's talk to Jeremy. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a pretty long story these days. Just, I mean, in terms of brewing... Um, uh, pretty much all started for me after uh, still living in the Netherlands and um, being really close to the Belgian border and, and ample access to uh, uh, to plenty of really cool beers. That back in the, at the time, I think it was around '99 or something like that. I was, uh, you know, had no idea. I thought there was two styles of beer: heavy and light. And uh, you know, suddenly just seeing these beers in Europe really blew my mind. I had done a little bit of home brewing before that, and. Uh, when I came back to Australia, I decided that uh, you know it just seemed like a really cool thing to do, and there wasn't didn't seem to be too much around at the time. So uh, got on board with the Ballarat Uni uh, as a short course at the time, where I met up with a couple of other guys that were starting a brewery in in Hillsville, um, small brewery called Buckley's. Um, so I was living pretty close by to where they were starting up, so I just asked if I could come and help out. So. I guess for the first couple of years, brewing was uh, just, you know, we'd go out to Hillsville on the weekend and um, just yeah, make some beer on a pretty small scale. It seemed huge at the time for me, but uh, yeah, from there, uh, just slowly moved through. Got a got a gig at the uh, Stockade Brewery when uh, Matilda Bay were cracking out heaps of uh, bees knees at the time. Um, and Stockade then got taken over, or the assets got bought out by Matilda Bay, became the Matilda Bay Garage. I spent uh, four or five years uh, working at the garage there, having lots and lots of fun, doing plenty of experimenting and uh, building car racetracks and all sorts of wacky things. Um, before, you know, got uh, got a call from uh, Alex, head brewer at Little Creatures at the time, saying that uh, they were looking for someone to go to White Rabbit. And that was back in early 2009, and uh, yeah, so I've been uh, been with White Rabbit ever since, and just you know, helping uh, evolve that brand, and and again, still having lots and lots of fun and doing some really interesting things. But uh, you know, I guess with uh, with little creatures, uh, you know, really, really looking after the quality and and really focusing on the beer, um, and that's been that's been really exciting. Jeremy, just on that, um, obviously when Little Creatures was, was bought by Lion and then when White Rabbit was bought by Lion, there there's a natural kind of, I guess, uh, rate of attrition where with guys who, look, I, I came on board because I really wanted to do the uh, independent, the family-owned, the small scale, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, yeah, yeah, no worries, we understand that and they move on to other things. Do you think you staying, um, happily staying with White Rabbit during that transition came about because you'd already seen, I guess, the, a similar thing happen with uh, with Matilda Bay being owned by, by CUB at the time and uh, that you sort of, I guess, were more, uh, not immune to it is not the right word, but that you were 
you know, I guess happy to, to, to stay with what you knew? Um, I, I won't say I, you know, planned to uh, to take that path, to be honest. I, you know, I, I do like uh, the idea of some supporting small as well. And, uh, you know, when I first went to Creatures, that, that was, I guess, a large part of it. But, um, I, I mean, for me, I, I just... I, I like change, uh, and uh, so it didn't bother me to to try something new and and see you know how things were at Lion. Um, I guess Lion had been supporting little creatures since the start anyway, so it wasn't like it was totally uh, a new thing. And um, yeah, look, I, I just I just wasn't finished with Rabbit, and uh, I guess I, I just was looking for what the next step was and and excited about some of the changes that we we're going to be making. Um, you know, I guess in the early days we didn't know about the plan to to close Hillsville. Uh, that came as a bit of a surprise. But again, for me, you know, those sort of things, are, like I said, I, I like change. And uh, so it turned out, um, yes, yeah, so I'm working for Lion again. But they've been really good, really passionate group of people. I, uh, you know, thought it was a bit of a fancy cult when I first came in. I couldn't believe everyone in Lion's always so happy. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been quite cool actually, and they've been uh, really uh, supportive of Rabbit and, and what we're trying to do. Now, well, as long as you're not uh, you're not a brewing snob, where you know it's just that you want to stay where you know the you know the the technologically advanced equipment's going to be. Oh, look, I, I like playing with fancy toys as well, <laughs> which I know. Uh, and I've I've spent so many years uh, signing off the invoices for repairs and maintenance. You know, the whole idea of if I was trying to start my own thing, it's, it's very daunting. And, you know, anyone that does it, you know, all the best to them. But, uh, yeah, I know. Um, so there, there is a degree of uh, comfort, I guess, with uh, knowing that I'm going to get a paycheck each month and um, and having, yeah, those those toys. And, the, you know, now very much with the access to using the uh, the big uh, toys lab for helping us doing an, our analysis, which... Uh, um, you know, is, is really, really handy. Talking about the, the, the time you spent at Matilda Bay, Matilda Bay's been something of a theme that's run through the last couple of episodes, and one of the reasons for that was that I was in Sydney recently and I found Redback on tap, and I tweeted. Like, I was so excited. It was the first craft beer that I can ever remember drinking way back in 1988, and uh, it was it, it, because of that. It's one of those breweries I've had a real fondness for, and at the same time, you know, as with all good relationships, it's broken my heart over and over <laughs> and over again to see the way um, that it just doesn't seem to get the love from CUB. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that there was something of a heyday within CUB when Brad Rogers was there and uh, you were there and the, 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 there was a renewed focus on the beers. And I even remember a, an article that Willie Simpson wrote some time ago pretty much acknowledging that Redback was back to its best and back to the beer that it once was during the period that you were there. Um, you know, do, do you have that same sort of, and, and I know that you work for a competitor brewer these days, but you know, do, do you have that same sort of love of the brand and wonder what's going on? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, I always did. I thought Redback was a fantastic beer. Um, and yeah, I must admit, either I don't get out very much these days, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it around for a, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's not you, mate. It's, it's, it's not you at CUB. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it's not, it's not in many places. Yeah. Look, I, I think that's a real shame. And it, it is a really amazing beer and a, a very much a pioneer in terms of craft beer in this country. And, 
and uh, you know what it did in the, in the early 80s. Um, well, I wasn't around then, so well, I was around, but I wasn't drinking much beer at that time. But uh, yeah, look, I, I think it's a great beer, but uh, I don't know, it's just possibly wheat beers. Um, they seem to be something that you know come come and go, which uh, yeah, I, I think it's a shame. I, I love that style of beer personally. I, I guess I'm talking about the brewery as a whole because outside of the Fat Yak um, franchises, even CUB calls it now, Matilda Bay just doesn't... You know, Alpha Pale Ale, Dog Volta, Rooftop Bread is defunct. Um, uh, you know, they they just don't seem to have really found any traction with it. Um, and, and I compare that. You know, I, I, I think at their best, those beers are as good as anything in in the country. Um, but then you look at breweries like, you know, uh, Little Creatures, where 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 you worked, um, just seems to be far more available. Um, then Matilda Bay, where you cut your teeth. Mm, yeah, no, I guess I yeah, can't really comment of what what what's going on there, but I, I do think it's a shame. There's some some great brands there, and uh, you know, uh, Doug Bolter as well. I remember slaving over the Lauderton for hours and hours and hours trying to get that beer out. And it was a real <laughs> real labour of love that beer, and uh, you know, so. Yeah, there's some some good beers there. You mentioned Rooftop as well. You know, I was in, involved in developing that, and that was pretty exciting at the time. Um, but yeah, it's a shame to see see some of them going and yeah, that whole uh, focusing on one particular brand and 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 franchising that or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. We'll leave that up to someone else. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, 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 let's talk about your your, your current job then. Um, you, you moved from Hillsville to the Little Creatures in Geelong, and I was lucky enough to get down um, to the new White Rabbit Brew House within that um, wonderful facility. And something that I've always noticed about Little Creatures is that they are just such wonderful um, you know, outreach centres for, for for beer because you go there and you really get a sense of the process, but you also feel like they're just some of the nicest places to drink beer in Australia, I think. And White Rabbit is um, you know, the, the latest addition to that. So congratulations for that. Maybe tell us a little bit about how the move went and how hard was it? You know, was it hard to, to build the brewery in the in the new um, visitor centre? Um, look, I guess looking back, it uh, it wasn't it didn't end up being that hard. Um, we we didn't change a lot, um, bringing you know everything from Hillsville to here. So, I mean, working within. Uh, the old building was certainly was was definitely challenging. So the the Hillsville site was a modern tilt slab factory with you know clear nine meter high uh, ceiling, uh, whereas we're trying to put some of this uh, quite tall you know, six meter tall uh, vessels into this sawtooth roof uh, that's got poles and beams and you know, trusses and whatnot all over the place. So, you know, when we were designing the brewery uh, on paper, it, it sort of yeah, was this sort of seesawing up and down and up and down and, and it tended to be very much like, oh, we need to design the brewery, you know, around the contours of the roof, which was looking a bit clunky. Um, fortunately, we we made the decision to change a mash tun, dedicated mash tun and, and four vessel brew house so we were able to reconfigure entirely the brew house setup, and that just made the whole place uh, really come together and, and flow. Um, it was a little bit challenging because we, we uh, organised this new mash tun but then 
I don't know, something happened and we forgot to actually pay a deposit for it. So we were uh, waiting for it to turn up and it hadn't even left Canada. So uh, we had to do some uh, some scratching then. For, uh... <laughs> Mate, how does that happen? Uh, we we, we still all the time. <laughs> At, at Bruce Juice, yeah, look, I, I, I get that. That, that. that is our life. But with White, White Rabbit, I would have thought you would have computer systems that would be sort of picking you up and getting you out of bed in the morning to carry you to pay the deposit. So those sorts of things that Yeah, happen. no, look, it was a, a series of things happened there. I'm not really too sure, but I do remember lots of uh, very late-night late night, uh, phone calls to Canada trying to trying to work out the quickest way uh, to get this mash done here so it wouldn't hold up the whole project. Um, and, uh, yeah, in the end, uh, if we hadn't have done anything, it would have been here three days earlier than, you know, all of our speeding up options. Um, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. We, we, we needed to cut the legs off and then sort of bring it in and skid it along the ground and then hoist it up and then slot the legs in because uh, we'd already put the open fermenters and, and everything else in. Uh, so it wasn't too bad, but, uh, and it didn't hold up the brewing platforms or anything like that. So that was probably one of the, the biggest challenges, and and trying to get some of the the taller tanks, like I said, in, into the uh, the roof cavity uh, was was a little bit challenging. You know, we we had plans on paper, or we'll put you know the two bright beer tanks there, and you know then when we went to actually put it in, and the crane got stuck. Um, we decided to put one of them somewhere else, and you know a few things like that. But uh, all in all, it was it was pretty easy going um, and, and a lot of fun too. So Jeremy, how have you found the, um, uh, I guess, the transition from Hillsville to uh, to Geelong and then I guess the, or do you find you have, I guess, more um, creative freedom to, to do what you want to do? Because um, like the, so the Belgian pale ale I thought was, a, is um, an absolute cracker and I can't quite remember whether that sort of came out um, long before the move, or or you know, in, in the midst of the move, or whatever it might have been, um, mm-hmm. but that was quite, I guess, a a bit of a departure from the white and the dark um, in the in the portfolio. Uh, and I guess leading on from that question, what uh, what what for the future? We've got a little bit of uh, a little bit more freedom now, uh, in the sense, and leading into that future. And you know, part of the part of the brewery setup now is a dedicated uh, barrel storage area, uh, which is right in the heart of the brewery and makes up part of the uh, the hospitality experience. Um, and so, where in Hillsville we had, um, I guess, constraints on what uh, yeasts we may or may not have been able to use due to proximity of a uh, little winery. Uh, that, that you know, that um, has gone now. So our barrels are full of all sorts of uh, wild yeast and bacteria, which which is uh, all sorts of joy to, to play with. Um, uh, and But, you know, on the back of that, I really... I, I still I like... When I first started working for White Rabbit and, uh, you know, the thing then was that we were only making one beer, the dark ale, that, you know, the brewery was set up to make one beer and that's all we were ever going to do. Um, but then we quickly moved on to the to the white ale and started making the pipsqueak cider and the pear cider and then it was the uh, you know, the Belgian pale came along. But you know, I still sort of hold to that. I, I like being I know, a little bit old school uh, when it comes to rabbit and, and I want to focus on just trying to really, really make uh, 
beers that'll that'll last forever and sort of you know aren't, aren't you know the current trend or anything like that and, and just really really good beers and so um, in terms of having the freedom to do some more experimenting we've certainly got it but I'm, I'm focusing most of that attention on on our new beer which is our uh, red um, and you know just the complexities involved in in using the barrel aged um, wild beer in into a, this this new beer that um, you know I want to get out and available to everyone and not not just uh, you know the pointy end or or just as a seasonal. Um, so you know, the challenge of making that beer, uh, having it available consistently and, and consistent quality, I guess is, uh, is a, a lot of fun for me at the moment, um, as opposed to having you know, ten different wacky things going on. Yeah, and that leads us probably beautifully into um, an opportunity to discuss uh, the newest addition to the range. Over to you, Matt. Yeah, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about the the, the new beer and what you set out to achieve. Uh, well, we've had this, uh, I guess, a, a, a thought or an idea for quite some time uh, to do a beer somewhat in the style of a Flemish red uh, or an old brown, something like that. We just we just thought it working really nicely with. Uh, what Rabbit does, um, and the idea of using the barrels as well, so that you know we sort of saw an evolution starting with little creatures and, and their use of the hopback, which I think at the time was pretty new uh, for craft brewing in this country. And then when we started with Rabbit, you know we put the open fermenters in, which again was uh, probably a possibly a first, particularly on that sort of scale uh, for an Australian craft brewery. And, and so that idea that we you know, we make classic styles of beers, but we, the process that we we use, you know, whether it's the hot back or the open fermenters, is, is something I really like to play on. So, so to make this beer and not make it, I guess, anything you know, too out of the world or trying to find some sort of fancy new ingredient that gets everyone all excited, the idea was to use the barrels and and really set up this thing that yep. This is this is how we make our beer. You know, the dark ale is open fermented, and the red ale uh, comes from barrels, and, and that's just how we make beer. So, um, it, it, it's yeah, just trying to trying to get this beer to work. Um, just on that, Jeremy. Thought, thought process, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you probably know, yeah, you know, uh, being a brewer. Uh, of you know a professional nature, possibly know more about it. The uh, as soon as I heard uh, Flanders Red, Matt and I were talking about this uh, both off off air and then in our intro. The you automatically conjure up images of, of Rodenbach. Just discuss the the because I know about the you know the furders um, that that Rodenbach uses, and with yours it's um, barreled and grapes added to get the. Um, I, I guess that you know the yeast off the must of the grapes in order to, you know, give the beer that classic sourness. Is that similar to Rodenbach, or is it a different process altogether? Um, look, I, I imagine that Rodenbach have their uh, mixed culture that they've developed over many, many years. Uh, we, we don't have that luxury. We did uh, initially start by buying commercial mixed blend uh, from one of the, the yeast suppliers, um, but. We found that it was a very, very, very slow process, um, and we've got some some good beer sitting around, but uh, you know it is it really is a very slow process. And we wanted to, I guess, we wanted to try and get something out uh, in a quicker turnaround. Um, so it's 
a bit over 12 months ago now, when we were still out at Hillsville, we had um, we had a couple of barrels of our Belgian pale just sitting around, not doing anything other than probably just getting old. Um, and we we secured some uh, some Shiraz grapes from the guys next door at the Innocent Bystander Winery. Yep. Um, and we we didn't really know what we were doing with it. We just thought, hey, this will be fun. We'll make a little bit of wine. So see what happens. Um, <laughs> see what happens. And and yeah, then I just saw these barrels, and I thought. Wonder what will happen if I throw some uh, some grape juice at them. So so one barrel we basically put uh, fresh um, unfermenting grape uh, juice into, and the second barrel we added uh, with skins and everything, um, and just you know, just for something to do. Really, <laughs> I don't know if we thought anything was going to happen out of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, you know, a matter of a week or, or two weeks later, suddenly both of these barrels had uh, foam gushing out the top of them, and it was very obvious that a, a fermentation had, had had begun in there. And um, so, I mean, the barrels had been sitting around. We'd finished Belgian pale in it uh, for I think it was two and a half months before we added this. So we're like, wow, what's going on here? So we um, we we had a bit of a smell and a taste, and um, there were some pretty wacky uh, aromas coming out of it, but really, really tasty, uh, tasty beer. And, and when we ran it through our machines, I analysed it, the, the wild yeast or whatever was in there, it just fermented out every single bit of uh, sugar in there. So everything that the brewer's yeast hadn't been able to uh, consume, um, all the longer chain sugars and everything that, you know, they just didn't stand a chance. Whether there's some sort of symbiotic thing going on in there uh, with some bacteria busting up the sugars so the, the yeast can continue, on, or some sort of super attenuating yeast with um, superpowers, I'm, I'm not really sure what what exactly is going on in there. Um, but it, it just worked. And so from those initial two barrels, we basically just made some some more work, fermented it out ordinarily, and then uh, added it to barrel and just spread. Yeah, the original barrels and, and the funk that was in them just spread it all out and, and it just kept doing its thing um, and making this really, really interesting, uh, um, very, very dry, high-alcohol um, beer. Um, and that's Was that the beer that you had on at the White Rabbit launch? You had a, one of your experimental barrel-aged beers on at the White Rabbit launch? Um, I don't know. Yeah, we had a couple of things. We, had, I think, we had the first batch of red on there, and then there was uh, something else that was, um, I think, came from uh, the dregs of some Orville or Rayon Vert bottles. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, the red, you know, that process of using the uh, the, the grape skins or must um, just seemed to work really well. So, yeah, from dabbling around with it last year, thought well. You know, we, we've committed to make this into a beer now, and we need to get some out there. So, thought we'd have a have another go, and uh, yeah, so ordered. Uh, we've got in three ton of grapes this year, and uh, from a different uh, vineyard. But um, we've uh, we added that to 40 barrels uh, a few weeks ago, and it looks like the um, yeah the same thing's happening again. All the, uh, the, the Larger sugars that the brewers couldn't handle, um, they're all being fermented out, um, you know, in the barrels from this uh, wild yeast and bacteria concoction. It's uh, it's really interesting. You know, we uh, we actually took a sample from one of the barrels up to the local lab and had them uh, have a look at it, and they found I think they said it was 17 different 
different colonies of wild yeast and bacteria in there. Um, and obviously try, they're all working together because try replicating that. Yeah, well, well, that's it. I thought I'd try and get smart about this and see if I could find the, the magic ingredient. We isolated one of the wild yeasts and I fermented that uh, home brew style in for, for some wort um, and made the most disgusting, rancid smelling beer I've ever. So it's like, well, that's in there. But obviously, with all this combination of the you know, the, the indigenous microflora that was on the grapes, they, they just work together and uh, produce something really interesting. So now we just need to, you know, continue to, to uh, I guess, harvest that from the barrels and and spread the love, I guess. But that, if it's breaking down the long-chain sugars and fermenting, does that make it a low-carb beer? <laughs> I guess possibly, technically. Uh, but I don't know, is it alcohol, is that, is that a carbohydrate? I don't know. Oh, well, no, because then you wouldn't have a low-carb beer in, you know, a, a full-strength low-carb beer. No, I'm just trying to think because, you know, I know Burley Brewing do their no-carb beer where they talk about the mashing process and they're able to mash all of the sugars out. And so if you've got yeast that are willing to do that for you, yeah. we, we might be onto something there, the craft low-carb beer. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and we're, so our plan, I guess, and we can we can check that down the track, but I'm hoping that we can do a bit of a Grand Cru sort of vintage release each year uh, from some uh, straight barrels uh, that will be, you know, they normally end up at about 8, 8.5%, 8 to 8.5% alcohol when they've reached complete dryness. And you know, when we run that on our little uh, density meter, it goes into a negative Play-Doh. So uh, definitely pretty low carbon, so... <laughs> so, mate, tell us about the, the with the red ale. Was there a beer that you had in mind that you were trying to emulate? Oh, not, not really. I'd say no, not in particular. Just a, a rough, um, you know, feeling for you know the like you mentioned the Rodenbach, um, and there's uh, the what was it the Duchesse de Bourgogne, which is another one that mm. I really, really like. Um, yeah, no. I, it's a favourite of mine, and I describe it as uh, almost being malt vinegar in, it, in its character. Um, actually, I want to cook a corned beef in it this year because <laughs> it's got that wonderful vinegar, sour, um, malt character, and I'm just wondering how a piece of meat will turn out uh, corned in it. <laughs> that could be pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, look, I mean, we, we took cues for our beer from those things, but by no means, uh, you know, we, we want this to be a beer that um, pretty much anyone, or if, if people are a fan of, of the white rabbit range anyway, you know, they, they, they're already familiar with the white or the dark ale, that they can jump on board with this. So we're, we're not definitely not trying to make it probably not as complex as, as some of those classic Belgian styles. Uh, it'll be, you know, uh, I guess a bit uh, a bit more approachable. Um, and so, yeah, when we set out to make it, it was like, we want something that, um, you know, has good balance and, and good flavours and, um, and, yeah, we didn't really target any particular style, I guess, or any particular, you know, uh, beer. Um, but obviously those beers that, that we mentioned before were, were definitely uh, doing the rounds as we were talking about it. And, and Jeremy, just on that, because we've, we've probably really teased the, uh, the Radio Brews News listeners now to all want to go out and try it, it's uh, keg only and then 750ml bottles, but this uh, from Crafty's article, the 750ml bottles are only available from the brewery? Um, yeah, almost, almost. Uh, I know, I know that's a sales done... inquiry. I'm, I'm asking a brewer about sales, but... <laughs> 
Just yeah, but, look, you're right. We uh, we it's definitely on uh, around uh, Melbourne and uh, parts of Victoria. There's about ten or twelve venues that have got it simply because uh, we wanted to get it out there, um, and but we 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 just don't have enough stock aged uh, stock to get it out there. More than that at this stage, and we have bottled. We've done one batch or one small run of about 120 bottles uh, in the 750 ml um, sparkling bottle that we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, haven't actually got around to releasing that to the bar yet, but uh, that, that's definitely the plan. That uh, uh, you can get it on tap from the select venues uh, as of now, um, and hopefully within the next month. Um, hopefully our marketing people aren't listening to this. Um, That's <laughs> right, you've committed, have you? Um, yeah, so look, we, we've got a, a nice little feeler here. We just have to uh, uh, do some uh, risk assessment stuff on um, to make sure that when we get the beer in bottle that uh, it's all going to be uh, safe for people to consume. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that's the, the in month. 330s? No, no, 3.30s is a little while off yet. Right, okay, so so you've got to test whether or not they can go into the 750s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry. So, so when you say risk assessment, what 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 state what, what process do you go through there? Is it to, a, putting the, the bottles aside and then testing them to make sure there's nothing in there that can... That they don't explode. ...or shouldn't be in a beer? Uh, yeah, look, it's... it's, it's it's everything uh, from from safety of the guys operating the filler because we've got a, a special new filler to do this. Um, so we've got to finish commissioning that. Um, and yeah, just to make sure, you know, we're, we're adding, we're filling uh, essentially a wild beer or a beer that contains a portion of a wild yeast um, and we don't pasteurise or anything like that. So we just need to make sure our processes are all right so that when we get the beer in the bottle, it, uh, yeah, it's not going to turn into a hand grenade or um, you know, anything else. So we, we just want to make sure that we've got everything uh, right uh, so that when people spend their hard-earned money on it, that they're, they're getting something that we know is stable um, and that they can really enjoy. Um, and that's something that, you know, within line is pushed really, really hard. Um, and there is quite a quite a few, uh, uh, I guess, things that I've got to go through to get it out there. But uh, at the end of the day, it's all about making sure that everyone uh, everyone's safe, um, you know, when they either when we're putting the beer in the bottle or people handling it or the people that buy it from, uh, you know, whether it's micro or contamination or, you know, any number of things that can go wrong. That's uh, it's interesting you hear to say it because it's 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 a very different mindset to a lot of the small brewers and there's at least one uh, small brewer in Australia that I can think of that uh, prides himself on his sour beers but almost revels in the fact that from the time that he bottles it to the time that the consumer drinks it he has no idea what change is going to take place in the bottle and it's almost like a lucky dip um, and 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 is very. Uh, acerbic about being criticised for that. You know, he, he sort of feels that it's wrong to uh, criticise him that that's his approach. Um, but w- w- when you are working for a large company, um, I, I guess that's one of the um, constraints. That you, well, constraints probably isn't the right word, but that, that, that's one of the things that you have to be very mindful of is that that there has to be that consistency and that that quality assurance um, coming through. 
Yeah, absolutely. And quite apart from safety, quite yeah. apart from aspects of safety as well. Yeah, I guess for me personally, you know, I I always say, I always think that the best beer is a fresh beer. You know, and people argue about different things or whatever, but I still think that fresh beer is the best beer. And so, so what our intention with this beer is, uh, even though we've you know we've aged part of it in a controlled manner, um, and when we put it in bottle that's the beer we're putting in bottle and that's the way we want that beer to be. Um, and, and so, yeah, we've done all the hard work and, and it's ready to drink straight away. Um, and, yeah, any any changes that happen in the bottle, I think, you know, that would be not controlled by us and, and that, that would just make me nervous. And then, you know, people were talking about my beer and I didn't know what it was they were tasting. Um, I don't know, that, that just makes me nervous. Uh, so that's why that's why we like to go through all these processes. One of the things that um, Prof and I talked about last week um, on, on the show when, when we were talking about uh, catching up with you this week, um, and it was one of the things that I found when I um, tried the beer was what is the style? And, and, and you, talked a little, you, you talked about probably two of the greatest touchstones for the Flanders Red Ale style, and that's Rodenbach and uh, Duchess de Burgoyne, which are two that I just adore. Um, and having sort of read about this as a barrel-aged um, you know, Flanders Red Ale, um, they were the things that I was thinking of um, when I tried it. Um, I cannot fault the beer in any way, shape or form and approaching it, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of um, stuff there that you can match with food. Mm, definitely. But at the same time, but, but not in the context of uh, uh, Flanders Red Ale. Um, and even just, I've just sort of called up the media release as well and, and you know, 4.9% it is a little bit lower than what I would expect, so I was a bit surprised at that. But then um, the, the media release says, Ash Cranston, marketing manager for White Rabbit, says, barrel-aged, sour and tart beers are really taking off in the US and we're starting to see the trend filter down to Australia. They are very different to beers we know in the Australian market with their similar characteristics to wine and their ability to be matched to the food. Um, they are great for those that would not normally drink beer or are looking for an alternative to wine. And I hear that, again, I sort of hear that reinforcing the message of this is what you can expect. And But... I, you know, I hear you quite rightly say, well, that's not what we were going for. We didn't want to, to actually do that. It, how hard is it? And I don't want you to sell tales on the market. It's actually, yes, but, Ash, um, Ash Cranston is a top <laughs> bloke too, just before. No, no, he, like, again, like, again, and he always know, buys me a beer at Gab, so I don't want to spoil that relationship. They have their function and brewers have theirs, but how much, you know, they, they, they are left with trying to sell it and as he correctly identified, there is a, um, a, a big surge in barrel aging in, in in the states, and you sort of want to sort of get this in. Is but you know, without telling tales out of school, is there always that little bit of tension? And I, you know, I essentially heard you saying that there was before when you sort of said I was trying to keep marketing not to do that, and yet they seem to have done that. Yeah, look, we're uh, we're, <laughs> we're always having uh, very robust conversations, but uh, um, and it's always interesting, but. You know, I think both, you know, what Ash and his team are doing and what we're doing, you know, we, we all need to work together um, and so we all need to understand uh, the role we play and, and the way we, we talk about things. So, yeah, look, no, I always, always have, uh, have really good conversations with, uh, with the guys in marketing, but um, we are, you know, at, for the most part, um, we do still follow the, I guess, the creature's ethos of uh, the beer comes first, um, and then you know, we, I guess they like to, you know, jazz it up a little bit. But um, 
I think everything that I've, that I've read um, is probably probably pretty close to the mark. We probably also, um, Jeremy, have to, I guess, step outside of of, of our own um, sort of you know area of expertise or experience in the in the craft beer community, and to say, not everybody, uh, you know, walks into a bottle shop and says, right now, what am I going to get? You know, something different. I'm a repertoire drinker. I want to try something fresh and new. We can't underestimate that or ignore the fact that there are lots of people who go, I really like White Rabbit beers. Oh, here's a new White Rabbit beer. So in a way, I can kind of see how putting that brand on it, it needs to be, I guess, in the in the same weight as the other White Rabbit beers. Like, it, you couldn't really come out with a, you know, a White Rabbit, um, you know, I don't know, say, a, you know, a sour coffee imperial stout or something, you know, um, and then have that with the White Rabbit label, uh, the White Rabbit label on it. Is there, you know, if you guys come up with, with interesting ideas for a beer, do you... Like have to run it by Mr. Pawsey and say, can we brew this? And he he might say, no, actually, that'd work really well under this new, you know, or that that'd be make a great little creatures beer, or it would make a great single batch or something like that. Um, look, it's worked in different ways over the years. Uh, typically, when it comes to the rabbit beers, uh, I, I work directly with the marketing guys. Um, but we're, we're actually trying to get a little bit smarter than that these days and, and recently had a catch-up with uh, um, the, you know, uh, Warren, uh, Russ from Fremantle Little Creatures, Chris from Malt Shovel, uh, the marketing team and some, uh, some other lion innovation people and we all sat down and pretty much uh, worked out well, you know, where does each of the, the little creatures, Malt Shovel and, and White Rabbit, where do the brands sit? Where do we play? Where don't we play? Um, and what's some ideas moving forward? And, and so then it's going to be very much a, a collaborative uh, kind of thing moving forward, which I think is really good because there's, there's certainly a lot of great uh, brewers that, that work for us. And, um, you know, I think everyone everyone needs to have a little bit of input into into what we're doing into the future. Um, so yeah, we've got a little bit of a matrix um, that we've kind of put together to help uh, help us define where we're going and and that we're um, you know doing the right things for I guess for our brand and <laughs> I suppose I'm lucky enough we got the, we pretty much got the, as White Rabbit got to own the, the sours um, the other guys can't touch that so that that's kind of cool for me <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, Certainly. So per- personally, it's Jeremy, I haven't, yeah, I, I haven't tried the beer yet because, um, and you probably need to speak to marketing about this. I'll, I'll take this up with uh, with them when I catch up with them at Gabs. Um, but they, they send they send beer to Sydney to James. They send beer to uh, Brisbane to Matt. I, I, I'm happy to walk down and, and collect it. You know, I'm local. Um, but <laughs> having said that, so so I haven't actually tasted the beer. But from what from today's discussion, I think I'm I'm really comfortable that it's a it, it is a white rabbit style of beer in that it's got a, a, you know enough funk I guess to make it different to the ordinary, but not so much that it sits outside of what white rabbit I guess stands for. Yeah, that's right. And and look, it it still it gives us the opportunity. We've got these barrels sitting there uh, with some you know, very interesting things in them, and the vast majority of that will, will go into making the red um, but, but it'll allow us to experiment and uh, isolate certain barrels and, and if if red 
uh, when hopefully red succeeds and and does quite well, um, you know that will just show the business. Oh well, you know there's there's some really interesting things going on here, um, and you know we, we will have other things that that we can do to you know satisfy different parts of the market. But um, you know I, I was definitely on board uh, with with the idea of getting this beer. You know, I want to get this into people's hands. I don't want it to be, uh, you know, just for beer nerds or whatever. And and so I was very happy with, you know, keeping the alcohol down. And um, you know, originally when we were talking about making a beer, we we thought uh, it would be, you know, thumb cycles like, oh, it'll be 10% of it will come from from the barrel. Um, but when we actually came to putting the beer together, we realised it was uh, it's going to be more like 30%, which is causing us some issues now uh, with supply. Um, but it's, I think, the right beer for what we want it to achieve, and that's to, I guess, get some of those, uh, you know, Flanders red sours, some of those words that we talk about, into into the hands of people that might normally not go anywhere near it. Um, so, you know, definitely, I've been calling it our, our little gateway sort of sour, um, and that's, you know, not in a in a negative way. It's definitely, you know, I'm. Very excited to try and get get it into as many people's hands as possible, um, and not just this uh, in a small part of the market. And Jeremy, given that Gabs is is uh, imminent in the next week or two, um, how to what extent did the uh, the the Teddy Witter that you did as your Gabs beer uh, two years ago, I think, to what extent was, did that yeah. yeah did that kind of pave the way for for this style of beer? Or, or guess you know, um, proof, proof of concept kind of thing. Yeah, the the Teddy was, I guess, our first uh, foray into uh, souring wort with lactic acid, and we've now really, really refined that process. Um, and so, having the the Teddy um, to be able to work on with that has helped with the red. So we we do some uh, some. Well, kettle souring, mash tun souring with the red as well. So it was good to, to help us learn. Um, we honestly, we were not very good at acidifying work uh, in the early days. It would really take us, uh, you know, <laughs> the whole weekend. Um, but we seem to have really nailed it now and we can get incredibly uh, sour work within sort of 12 hours. Um, so, yeah, the Teddy was being, was really helpful in that regard and um, also just a, a great little beer, you know, alongside of our our, our low-carb barrel beer. We've got this uh, nice low-alcohol um, sour, which, uh, you know... Mate, the marketers can thank, thank me for that at any time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy for them to uh, go off of that marketing angle up there. And uh, I look forward to a fat uh, commission check <laughs> in, in due course. That's it. Uh, definitely. So, yeah, the Teddy, Teddy's a, uh, you know, and, and you know, hopefully we'll... we'll uh, uh, release Teddy a little bit further than the bar as well because uh, it's just a fun little beer and you know, drink it uh, any time. Really it good. Was a, it was a cracker. It is a delightful beer and, and I think that was one of the beers I did try at the opening and I have to apologise, my neighbours just suddenly decided Knock to mow. Right so, uh, <laughs> I'm muting my mic in and out um, <laughs> when I'm not uh, speaking. But uh, I guess one last question and, and that's a nice way of saying it. Does having beers on tap in the venue give you a little bit more flexibility for some of some of the the, the more experimental beers or the things that you're, you're really playing around with in, in the uh, White Rabbit Brewery? Oh, definitely, definitely, because you know we're we're right there, and as we're putting things on, we're getting 
direct feedback from the customers and um, yeah, so it's it, it definitely really, really good because um, normally our minimum runs something like 20 gigs, so it takes a little while to get through that, but certainly getting that direct feedback from people and, and our bar staff are really well educated, uh, so yeah, definitely a really good good thing for us to have there. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for such a great chat. It's, it's been one of the more um, fascinating in, uh, amongst a series of very fascinating interviews. So thanks very much for joining us. Um, and, and I guess the message uh, is that anyone that's listening to this that really wants to see some of the things that you guys are doing really needs to get themselves down to Geelong and visit the White Rabbit Brewery. Yeah, absolutely. Come in and, and just have a chat to the brewers and uh, try the different beers that we've got on. Um, particularly the red, um, really hoping for uh, everyone to come on this journey with us. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very new, uh, this whole barrel thing, and, and, and this beer will evolve over time, um, which we typically do with all our beers. I'm not sure if you guys recall, but Dark Ale's been through quite a few changes over the years before before we yeah. were sort of happy with it. Um, and so the Red Ale is going to be the same thing. We're, we're learning as we go, and, and, and that was what we wanted to get it out there to people uh, to, to just really come on the journey with us. Um, and, and so, yeah, really do encourage people to come down to the Geelong venue and come in and see us. Don't be scared. Chat to the brewers and um, yeah, just uh, just have a chat. We're, uh, we're, we're all, <laughs> we all just want to drink beer and have fun, basically. And just an opportunity for you, Jeremy, for, to give a, a bit of a shout-out, because we've spoken to a few uh, ex-White Rabbit uh, brewers in a couple of past episodes. So who's the who's the crew who's uh, looking after White Rabbit down there at the moment? Are, are there some that are, you know, uh, come in, you know, like as apprentices or, you know, junior brewers sort of thing, or some from Little Creatures, or who's who's the crew? Uh, so, yeah, we've got uh, – we're, we're basically going to be operating on a – bit of a rotation so all of the uh, the little creatures brewers at some point will have a chance to, to move around the whole facility so whether they're brewing at little creatures or in the cellar or in packaging or over in rabbit we'll, we'll slowly move everyone around um, but to, to start off with since we've been brewing since uh, I think it was early October we started brewing again um, in there um, really on the floor and, and showing the other creatures brewers uh, what it's all about and how to drag hoses around and uh, you know all the fun manual stuff that we still do um, and yeah everyone I think everyone here all the brewers are keen to to get in and come and have a bit of a play in rabbit so you know it's um, it's very much that you know, get get everyone involved. Terrific. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us uh, on Radio Brewers News and thank you very much for all the beers you brought us for a a, a long period of time. Always good to chat, and uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up with you. At, are you going to be at Gats? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Terrific. I'll look forward to catching up with you then, but thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much. There you go. That was Jeremy Hulse. Prof, mate, look, I, I have to say, I found myself sitting there listening to that conversation and listening to the stuff that Jeremy was saying, and I, I reckon that that would be in one of my, you know, this is episode 88, and I reckon that's got to be in one of my top five um, chats yeah. uh, about, about beer. Yeah, look, a great chat. Um, terrific bloke. I first met Jeremy, yeah, back in the when he was at Matilda Bay at the garage out at, uh, at Port Melbourne, um, and he's just one of he's just one of the very likable sort of blokes about beer. But he's also very, uh, yeah, very happy to just sort of tell it as it is um, from from his point of view, which is always I think refreshing, and I think it's what our listeners appreciate about uh, you know the 
in amongst the drivel that we often serve up to them, that they often get those little gems. Well, mate, we were speaking to a market to a brewer and not a marketer. Um, and, and you know, again, like Ash Cranston, if you're listening, and I know you are, um, that that wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a dig at anybody. But they have two very very different jobs. One is to sell beer, and you sell the sizzle and not the steak. The other is to grow the cow. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I dug myself out of anything there, Prof. But you know, it, it was you know, and, and when you do tend to speak to guys who are higher up in the in 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 the corporation, um, even the guy with the brewer head brewer tag does tend to have a little bit more of a marketing role or more of a business role about them. Yeah, less hands on. Yeah, and, and they speak less about the the beer and to, to speak to the guy that's actually developing the recipe putting it in barrels and is is very hands-on wearing the boots every day yeah. um you, you get a very different and look I, I i i know that we had a big chat about this last week and um yeah look i i think that a big part of it was i had expectations for the beer that weren't met as opposed to the beer not meeting the expectations that were promised on the bottle yeah, yeah, for sure. And look, I think now that a couple of really enlightening things. One, like it's un, it's fair to say that it is unfair to compare this beer to a Rodenbach or a, a Duchess. Absolutely, but by the same token, I think it's a little bit wrong to call it a Flanders Red Ale, a barrel aged Flanders Red Ale, because I think that naturally creates expectations. I, I, I think yeah, very possibly says, the, the, the Flanders bit probably probably throws it. Yep. But white, but white rabbit, you know, to, barrel, or barrel aged white yeah. rabbit. Ra- ra- I know what you mean. And perhaps that. to some people new to craft beer, they might just think it's a Simpsons reference and just sort of go, oh, it's, you know, Flanders. <laughs> so, um, maybe. But the other thing too that I found most uh, interesting in that whole chat was the fact that um, Russ Gosling, who's the head brewer over at uh, Little Creatures at Fremantle, as well as um, you know Warren and Jeremy and the other guys, uh, I guess workshopping you know what beers could we come up with, who, who's got ideas and that sort of thing, and then looking at okay where does that beer actually fit? So you might come up with a great idea, um, and it doesn't get lost because no nah, look that's not part of you know our style of you know it's, it's not what our drinkers want. But hang on, we have this other segment of the brewery of, of the business that. We can, you know, release that. And whether it's, you know, a, a Mad Brewers or whether it's, you know, it comes out under the, the malt shovel range or it becomes its own brand or whatever, um, those beers, it, it gives, and we've often criticised the bigger breweries for, for lacking agility, lacking that nimbleness to be able to, you know, bend and stretch and, and react to, um, you know, current trends or, you know, a growing market. Uh, and this is a, a, an example, I guess, of, of where you can be big and still be a little bit agile. Yeah, and, and I, I guess that's where I was coming from uh, in our discussion last week, is that I saw this, uh, assuming that it was meant to be a Flanders Red Ale, I saw this as the James Squires Flanders Red Ale, because Squires is the brand that seems to be... Um, you know, be with the story. Well, but if you look at a beer that is um, like gold standard version of a style, little creatures t- tends to do that. White rabbit tends to be a little bit more experimental, but if there is the entry level version of any particular style in that range, it's coming out under James Squire. So they're on the lighter end of any of the beers. Yeah. Right. So, cool. you know, yeah. As I said last week, little creatures, you know, bang on with an American style pale ale, bang on with a, like a good IPA, um, you know, they're Pilsner. The new Pilsner, bang. Pilsner new recipe, absolutely yep. sensational. Bang in the middle. It's, it's, it's not entry level. It's not, it, it, they are, um, and, and they do have uh, approachable forms of that. 
Um, but yeah, but anyway, look, um, Jeremy absolutely uh, sort of gave it that. And, you know, it was one of those nice chats where, yeah, you were actually speaking to the bloke who had to make those decisions and he's talking through those decisions. So anyway, Prof, uh, and, and listeners, I do apologise for my neighbour um, getting the team of mowers um, going while we, 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 we started you that. May, you may have uh, recognised an edger in at the uh, <laughs> whippersnipper in at the back end of the year. There, those, there, there was a little bit of that. Those attentive listeners will notice. Uh, I also look, and I have to apologise to the listeners and to Lockie. I had to keep because uh, on this particular day, um, what are we? Tuesday, May the third. Third. Um, Hundred kilometre an hour winds down here in Melbourne, and um, every now and then my, uh, you know, the dog would blow off the chain, so I had to uh, keep muting my mic as well. There you go. No, that's that's the technology, but that's. That's the hamster on the uh, on that's... the wheel that makes this happen. <laughs> that's, that's why. And... That's why this is a free service to you guys. <laughs> yes. Okay, Prof. Mate, thank you for that. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Yeah, Prof, so now moving on from that, that now that little bit of outro we recorded straight on um, after the interview with Jeremy finished. Um, so we have, have your thoughts changed at all since in the week since we spoke to Jeremy Prof? No, not at all. Still haven't had the beer. Um, so I, I'm not going to sort of, you know, uh, I, I'm commenting on the, um, the concept of the beer. Uh, but yep. I think Jeremy certainly, if there was any doubt that, you know, Look, there, there are just some brands, uh, some some styles of beer where you say, oh, so-and-so is making a, you know, this style of beer. And you go, oh, okay. So automatically you've got in your mind, there are some beers where you automatically have in your mind a representation of that beer. You know, that that, that brand is the, the you know, the flagship of that yep. style of beer. And so you're automatically going to compare it. It's interesting that, um, yeah, I, I hope Jeremy's dispelled that. Just enjoy it. Just try the beer and enjoy it. Um, when you look at what's gone into the designing of the beer and then the production of the beer, um, separate that perhaps from the, the marketing or the labelling of the beer and, and just let us know. What mm. do you think? Yeah, yeah. Let, let us know what you think. But I, I certainly, like it was, it was a thoroughly enjoyable chat and uh, I, I always prefer speaking to the brewer when they're willing to... Yeah, uh, yeah. And look, it certainly answered, forthright answered and a lot of questions, and, uh, which was good. And, and he, he wasn't... Unapolo- he, he wasn't apologetic and he had nothing to apologize for and he just sort of talked us through the process and i thought that was great so uh now cards and letters lucky Okay, Prof. What do we, we got this week? Well, let, let, let's lead off. Who's whispered in your ear this week, Prof? No, no, no. I, don't, I haven't, haven't been out this year, uh, this week. 
still. Okay. Uh, so, okay. But as I, I'm, I'm, I will be uh, chatting and uh, drinking beer with the um, the best and best and brightest of the uh, the world beer uh, community uh, by the time this goes out. So for next episode, I'm sure I'll have some shit to sling. We might even have a whole episode on um, stuff that Matt should do different. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, in actual emails, Ian Clark um, emailed, Hi Matt and Pete, thanks for another informative episode of Brews News. I have to confess, Could Be A Week is almost bigger than Xmas for me, Christmas for me. Um, so it was great hearing about some of the behind the scenes workings from Siobhan. It's one of my favourite times of the year, just like Christmas, well, my parenthesis, just like Christmas, hence the name. And I'll be down in Melbourne for the whole week, thanks to being able to crash my brother's place uh, we'll be living it up at Mega Dega 4 and a few other events. And that, that's actually an event that I always mean to do, but I never get in quickly enough to get an event. And, uh, to get a ticket. Even yeah. my... Yeah. yeah Ian Tins uh, down from Newcastle. He's the one I gave a shout out to in the last episode or the one before. I can't remember because oh, we terrific. kind of... Uh, we did a, a, the Beatles' uh, Let It Be and Abbey Road. We recorded one, and but we released it after the other. I can't remember... But anyway, yeah, yes. uh, yeah. that's yeah. Shout out to them. Okay, so that's good. Thanks, and a few so, other yeah. events, and a few other events this year, and we were especially excited that the Good Beer Week program launch email featured a smashing photo of us at last year's awesome Mega Digger. Uh, it was great to meet Prof at the Crafty Cabal launch on April 25th. There you go, and chat about the beer industry and share a few brews. John and I are hoping we can get around to a few of the Cabal shouts later in the year, including one uh, in the planning for Vegas, Bruce Vegas, Bruce Vegas. Um, He's got Bruce Vegas there, but it's Bruce Vegas. And uh, yes, and anyone that wants to find out more about the Crafty Cabal, uh, James Smith appears on the current episode, which by the time this comes out, may be the past episode of Al of a Time podcast, talking a little bit more about it than I think uh, the, the, we touched on it in our recent podcast with uh, James Smith, but uh, you can find out more about it there. Um, then nice work, Matt, on presenting Pete with the perfect opportunity to question Siobhan this episode. I'm sure he'll seize the bit next time around. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm sending any of these up, Matt. This is, uh, from the mouths <laughs> of babes. Well, the, the way that he says that, it's, it's almost as if you are a, a bit of a wallflower and you don't it, – it sounds like it's not me. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm feeling the silences, and hopefully if you speak up a little bit, then you'll take the, uh, the, the load off me, which you know, anyway. I certainly appreciate but uh, yeah, thank you, Ian. Um, thanks for keeping us informed and the barrels rolling out, Ian Clark. P.S. Thoughts for episode 100? Maybe a comparison of what craft beer scene was like from episode one to episode to 100. And actually, that's not bad. I mean, most podcasts would get their 100th episode up in two years. I think we've been doing this for over six years with the uh, you know ir irregularity of it all. Oh, so look, some they, of our best stuff, listeners, is is lying on the cutting room floor. Maybe we could do a best of from the cutting room floor. Well, we couldn't so, because most of the best of stuff was uh, on the cutting room floor because, oops, I forgot to press record. Um, oops. Oh, uh, I don't, no, I don't think I ever did that. I really don't think I ever did that. Yeah. Have I? Yeah. Uh, but some, yeah, some, some stuff is because you did it twice with the same guests. Um, uh, and, and some stuff, you know, look, when you get listen back to the recording, sometimes it's, it, it's not at, the, at, at a standard that we would. Uh, think our, our listeners would enjoy so so there have been times where yeah we've we've sort of said nah look you know we'll, we'll come back to that or we'll redo it later but anyway 
Yeah. Yeah. But no, thank you very much, Ian. Um, one that came in this morning, actually, uh, that I'll read. Paul Pacey, who we shouted out to last yep. time, who's becoming a frequent correspondent. Um, hi, team. On the topic of drinking beer from cans and getting a metallic taste, uh, we talked about that last week, obviously. Yep. Okay. Um, I refer you to a product that I helped fund on Kickstarter. My product should arrive in a few weeks, so I'd be happy to lend it to Matt for a review. In short, as the draft top cuts the top of the can off from the user, twisting the device. Oh, so, so you twist the device, it cuts off the top of the can, and it folds over the sharp edge, making it safe to the drinker. I've yet to try it, but it is an interesting product. So, yeah, draft top is its name. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, yeah, like a, gives you a 360. Um, it's a, it sounds like it's a very, very... Uh, sophisticated can um, opener. Can up, yeah, yeah. It folds it over and lets you drink from the can. And I'm just watching the video. I don't know. Can you hear that coming through, Prof? No. Yeah, it's a very sophisticated can opener by the look. Now the shape of it, mind you, the video shows them cutting the tops off cans of Corona and putting lime into it. Um, so, Paul, you, as, you're braver as, this night. As a flavour infuser or as a disinfectant. No, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. So, but, but that's pretty much it. It's, does what Paul says. So, I'd be very, very keen to try it. Um, Prof, have you funded anything on Kickstarter? No. Um, yeah, no, I haven't either. And I'm, you know, I'd, some of this stuff I, I, I can actually see the, the benefits. Um, but I, actually, I did. I funded um, uh, a book um, from. Pete Brown. I funded Pete Brown's book, um, not on Kickstarter, whatever the the, the other one was. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I got on that. Yeah, we spoke funded to him. About it, it. We spoke yeah, to him. Three, four episodes. Yeah, and, yep. and I funded that um, just for the digital version, but because uh, it was going to cost as much to get the book mailed to me as it was to fund the uh, the book, so I just got the digital version. But I don't know, Prof. There was there was a there's a whole flood of home tap systems. Have you seen any of these? Uh, well, yeah, from time to time. I haven't seen it. Not you mean something uh, new and recent? Yeah, well, th- there was one that um, Lockie McIntosh, our producer, reviewed on uh, Brews News recently, which was the iKega, where you sort of get your growler and you've got this oh, little attachment yeah. goes in and it gasses it up and you know all, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and then there was one that I posted to Facebook this week called the Cynic, or maybe that's just my pronunciation of it, the Synec, um, S-Y-N-E-K, um, that The Verge did a really good review of. It was you know, not taking the piss out of it, but it was fundamentally saying you really want to have tap beer um, to go through the fuss and the rigmarole of doing this. Um, so there, there are all sorts of little attachments you can get for your growler that gasses them, and then you've got the joys of having a, a keg. There's another one that you just put a bottle in. Um, actually, I, I can't remember what the name of the other one is, but it's um, you literally put a bottle or a growler in and it then froths, it, it pours it and carbonates it more than was in the bottle and then you put the handle back the other way and it froths it to give you a creamy head. So, again, without having tried it, I can't say, but the thought of going to the fridge... And then putting your bottle in, opening the bottle, putting the bottle into this thing, and then you know going through the 15, 20 second pour to get it, just so you can get a better head on it. I just think, well, learn to pour your beer properly into a glass. And look, yeah, without wanting to poo-poo the idea or uh, to, to you know 
cast aspersions or, or put anyone off, you know, perhaps being innovative and entrepreneurial. Um, I just reckon if if Lion couldn't get a home, you know, draft-style dispenser system going, I best of British luck to you. I wish you well. Yeah, we were with their complete clout and things like that. But the, the, this cynic um, or cynic um, was the most interesting one, you see, because you take a look like a two-litre flagon, essentially, like a, a wine flagon. Oh, like Tap King? No, well, no, no, because it, it's a just a clear, uh, sorry, a foil bag. So, like, it folds flat and you take it to your local brewery or your local bar that's got the special attachment that they put on oh, and okay. then you fill the bag. So it keeps it sealed um, and keeps it gassed, whereas most, as we've talked about, growlers have the ability and, and they actually let a lot of oxygen in and if it particularly if it's being filled from the tap it's knocking the beer around a little bit um, and you want to drink it very very recent very very quickly yeah um, quickly this seems to be much more of a it, it, it's an empty bag that doesn't have oxygen in you put the special attachment on and so it keeps oxygen out as much as possible and then it, you, you connect this thing to it and that the gas it keeps it gas and presses it out and so it keeps it lasting for a longer time but even so, when you looked at all of the um, fuss and bother just to get a beer off tap, I think that you might as well just go to your local bar and, and have it. Yeah. Or, you know. What's your thoughts, Prof? Do you think that beer tastes better on draft than bottle? Oh. Assuming, assuming reasonably uh, fresh. Yeah, always. Yeah. So, anyway, but Paul, Paul Pacey, mate, let us know when you get that. I'd love to give it a try. Maybe, you know, I can sit down... Uh, maybe go down to Green Beacon and, and try it on some of their uh, lovely canned beers. Or who else in Brisbane is canning? I think they're the only ones um, are canning, but we can certainly have a beer. Um, actually, the only other thing I'll comment about it, Prof, is it's got the same shape as the those glasses that are um, crafted, the, the crafted glasses that are shaped like a can. Oh, yeah, yep. You know, with that sort of little bit of a lip. Yep. Have you, have you consumed beer from any of those? No. Okay. Do, what, do you have a view of them? No. You don't have a view or you don't have a view that you want to share? No, I don't have a view. Really? Yeah. Okay. Never, I, I, okay. Haven't, I, I haven't seen them except in picture form on the internet. Yeah, which to me is, is what they're all about. They're all about, you know, being photo-friendly as opposed to beer-friendly, but not having tried one, I don't know. Yeah, no. There, there just seems to be a lot of uh, innovation around beer glasses that's uh, – more about being eye-catching than beer-catching. That's just me. Could, no, could be. But uh, actually, have, have you caught up on the great debate that's uh, taking place in champagne circles, Prof? You know how pretty much for our entire lives, champagne has been drunk in a flute, a very narrow flute? Yeah. Um, but in movies uh, from prior to that era, it was always in those wide champagne... Martini-style... Yeah, or the the white one. Apparently, they're back. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, apparently, and they're wasn't supposed whole... to be Queen Elizabeth's bosom shape or something like that, or or Mary, Marie Antoinette, or I don't something, know. something to do with boobs. I remember. Okay, <laughs> that, it all comes. That sort of thing. I, I, I do remember. Ladies, uh, Pete Mitchum at bruisenews.com.au. Yeah, 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 send him in. Um, send him in. But uh, yeah, no it, pictures. To me, pictures, that's... not complaints. No, Just <laughs> clarify that. Go on. Now the email for complaints is. Um, but, yeah, but it's one of those things that, you know, people who get really head up saying this is the ultimate glass for such and such or whatever, and they, they say it with such authority and such, uh, you know, and, and shout down anyone who, who disagrees. 
Um, and all of it is just a fashion. So whatever beer glass you're drinking in now and you're saying this is the way it's traditionally done, I'm sorry, no, it's not. Um, it's just the current fashion or the fashion that's lasted longer than others. Yeah, just enjoy your beer. Just enjoy your beer. Exactly. Uh, let's see, iTunes. Um, had one review on iTunes. Don't forget, listeners, you can help us out. We do this for free, um, as most of you would probably say you'd expect it to be. Um, but you can help us out by jumping on iTunes and giving us a review. Um, the Winced um, left a review this week on May 8th. Um, headed, love the podcast. Now, I'm not sure who The Winced is, whether it's uh, how, Friends. How, and a, how is it spelled? Or spelt? Uh, no, that's an ancient grain. H-E, capital W-I-N-S-T. So it's one word, but The Winced is in short okay. for The Winston. So I don't know whether it is The Winston. Um, Shout out to Chris Miles, just in case it is, because we'll, um, we'll, we're going to catch up with him in the next few weeks and, um, and chat about his new brewery that's up and running. We are, but he says, love the podcast. Uh, I find this a great podcast to keep us up to date on what's going on in the world of beer. Really enjoy the chats with the brewers and the key people in the industry. Matt should really say more. No, that's not really in there. You idiot. No, I'm just like, you know, it's always, oh, I wish Prof would say more. Okay. Um, it's a must listen to keep learning and finding the next beer trends. Keep it up. You guys are smashing it every week. Mind you, you did include both of us in that. It's not Prof, you are smashing it every week. Highly recommended. Um, thank you, The Winced. And uh, he's also reviewed Green and Gold Rugby, uh, Tune In Radio Pro, uh, which is an excellent uh, podcasting, Tiny Scanner, so no other podcasts. So there you go. Nice to get five stars from The Winced. Um, have you heard anything from anyone this week, Prof? Nope. Okay. But not, not necessarily about me. No one said anything to you that's of interest or... Nope. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, that's... <laughs> Sorry to cut that What's... short, but no. I can't make stuff up. Okay, listeners, just so you know, I know that I do talk talk a lot, but this is what happens. I just sit here I and it'll just be dead air. If, just, if, if it's not me going. talking... Just keep going. If it's, if it's not me talking, there would be dead air. Oh, is that the time? <laughs> we must away, listeners. We better let you get back to doing whatever you're doing. Always good to uh, chat, Prof. Uh, now, I will see you. Now, next week, um, we will actually be uh, tete-a-tete. Um, yep. look, look forward to catching up. Yeah, do do come along and uh, join us next week, next Wednesday the 18th at uh, Beer Deluxe. It's great. Uh, square. Look forward to it. Whatever you're doing for Good Beer Week, whether you're watching it from afar or joining it, uh, have a good time and uh, in, enjoy your beers. And if you are in Melbourne, come up and uh, say good day to us and uh, let us know uh, what you think and uh, let us know what beers you like to drink. Anyway, Prof, talk to you next week. Look forward to seeing you for a beer. Take care. See you all soon. Thanks, listeners. Have a good beer week. There's a garden. What a garden. Only happy faces bloom there. And there's never And we're out.